All right, this morning we're uh, still in the, in the book of Malachi, and uh, we are in the second chapter of Malachi. And uh, I've titled today's message, God's Calling to Faithfulness. Now, as we study Malachi, today we're getting into some pretty heavy topics in Scripture. Remember that Malachi and all the prophets have a heart of love for the people. They're given a hard assignment by God. You know, if it's hard for us to read it, imagine how hard it was for them to speak it. Because when we read God's word, we're reading God's word. And we're, we, can, we can hide behind that if you have to. You can say, well, God's word says this when it comes to sin and it comes to things that are hard to, for us to hear. And we can hide behind God's word. But the prophets of the Old Testament... They couldn't hide behind God's word because they were giving it. I mean, they were the ones hearing from God directly, and they had the confidence, they had the boldness, they had the anointing of the Holy Spirit on their life. Even prior to the Holy Spirit being poured out on the day of Pentecost, these Old Testament prophets had the anointing of the Holy Spirit to speak the word of God. That's powerful because these men were not speaking popular words. As we go through today, these, these men were speaking words that stirred up the people because it was against what the people believed. Powerful men of God that were driven by the love of God, that they would speak the truth of God into a life of people, into a world of people that didn't want to hear it. And that's exactly where we're at today. The world doesn't want to hear the truth of God's Word. The world wants to hear something that tickles their itchy ears and makes them feel good for the moment. But if we're going to be godly people, then we need to read the Word of God as it's written, not twist it, not not taint it, not soften it, nor make it harder. But, be the, but read it honestly and give it. That's my heart today. It's my heart in this church since I've ever been here since 2009 has, has been to preach the Word of God. I know it stirred up people. I know it caused a lot of people to question me. I know it caused lots of problems. But I can't apologize for that because I know my heart. My heart has always been in love for this people. It's the love that drives people to teach God's word because it's easier to turn away. It's easier to turn around and go the other direction and say, I'm done with you people. I'm going over here. But God's love says, no, you be faithful. You be faithful to the end because the Bible says for those that persevere to the end, he's coming back for that kind of a church. Not for the one that runs away when it's hard because they don't want to love people enough. No, that's not the way we do it. It's not what God's looking for. I know that it's interesting. When we look at love today in our westernized church, love equals acceptance. It says, if you love me, you're okay with me. If you love me, you're going to accept me. 
If you love me, you're going to affirm me in my choices. That's the church of the westernized, enlightened civilization that we live in. But I challenge that definition because that's not what I see in Scripture at all. What I see in Scripture is that if you love me, you'll tell me the truth, whether I want to hear it or not. But I don't do it in a way to beat you up. I don't do it in a way to discourage you. I love you enough to tell you the truth of God's word, to uplift you, to give you the honest approach, to give you the true way to get back into relationship with the Lord and to live that way. That's the true definition of biblical love. When God loves us unconditionally, that doesn't mean he loves us and affirms us in our choices if they're not pleasing to him. God has the right to get angry at sin. He has the right, and he does. God doesn't play around with sin. It's not something that he plays patty cake with. He's angry at sin, and he wants to destroy it because he knows the enemy is out to destroy us. As Jim said, the enemy prowls around as a roaring lion seeking to whom he may devour not seeing who you can be a good friend with and play games with. When the enemy comes to you, he's coming to kill you. Do you know that? When God loves us unconditionally, he loves us to the point that he gives us his best, and that's Jesus, right? He doesn't love us unconditionally so that we can live a life of our own making, of our own choosing that would uh, be displeasing to him, that would, in effect, keep us from having a relationship with him. He loves us unconditionally to the point that he gives us Jesus to die for us so that we can have relationship back with him. That is love. That's the love that these prophets dealt with for all these years Every time they went into a public, every time they felt God's inspiration to come on to them to, to give another word of warning or to give a word of encouragement to the people of their day, you got to believe they had some angst in their heart because they didn't know how they were going to be received. It had to be difficult. The whole theme of the Old Testament, the whole theme of the New Testament, the whole theme in the book of Malachi is love may not appear that way. When he says some things to us that he's going to say today, it may not appear love, but that's what it is. It's all about faithfulness. Turn in your Bible to Malachi chapter 2. We have quite a bit of Scripture here, so read with me. Mark it up. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Malachi chapter 2, starting at verse 1. He says, Listen, you priests, this command is for you. Listen to me and make up your minds to honor my name, says the Lord of heaven's armies, or I will bring a terrible curse against you. I will curse even the blessings you receive. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you have not taken my warnings to heart. I will punish your descendants and splatter your faces with the manure from your festival sacrifices, and I will throw you on the manure pile. Then at last you will know it was I who sent you this warning so that my covenant with the Levites can continue, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Pretty heavy words, isn't it? <laughs> that he would cover your faces with the dung of the animals. 
not a good thing to happen. Why would God say, I love you, then say that? <laughs> the first thing Malachi does here is to give an encouragement, and then he gives the warning. The warning, the warning is followed with the consequence, and, and, and the consequence is a curse of God. Now, I don't want to focus on the curse of God today. I want to focus on the love of what God is trying to tell us. You can go ahead and read that and study that, and I would encourage you to, to read that verse over and over again. But the encouragement that God gives to Malachi to the, to the priests of the day, and by the way, when we're talking about the priests of the day, this is talking about me, and it's also talking about you, because you are the priest of your home. Because the New Testament says that we are the priests now of God. When Jesus died and the veil was torn in two from top to bottom, the priesthood role has changed from the priest that goes into the Holy of Holies once a year for the atonement of the sins of the people to you and I today that you go in on your own accord. So you are a priest, I'm a priest. But he is speaking to pastors appropriately too. But he says to us, make up your minds to honor God. There's nothing confusing about that. It's a very simple command. Make up your mind to honor God. It reminds me of the statement that Joshua made as he was, after he had took over from Moses, after the people had gone into the, across the Jordan into the land of Canaan. This is at the end of Joshua's life. He says that he records it in Joshua chapter 24. Verses 14 and 15, he says this. He says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. You see, each one of us has to get to that point of wrestling with our faith. I can't, be, I can't live out your life for you. Moms and dads can't live out the lives for their children. Grandparents, you can't live out the lives for your children. Every person has to wrestle with their own salvation. You have to decide for yourself, as Joshua says. You decide. You choose. Who are you going to serve? And then serve well. My, my Bible commentary says this regarding Joshua's commitment to serve the Lord. He says this, God invites all people into personal relationship with him, but he does not force himself on us. He gives us the choice, and we all decide for ourselves whom we follow in life. Those who follow God must continually make the right choice to pursue his plans and do what is right. That requires a deep reverence for God, a firm commitment to his truth, a sincere desire to fulfill his goals for their life, and a strong determination to resist the appeal of sin. Eventually, this is the problem of the people 
that Malachi's people faced in that day, that they were failing in this commitment of faithfulness to God. Now, it wasn't that they were leaving the temple. It wasn't that they weren't offering sacrifices. They were, but it wasn't the best. They were just going through the motions, if you will, to check the box, to say, yep, we're still Israelites. We still have priests, but we're not giving the best. Remember, we talked last week and weeks past about how they were given blemished animals, not the perfect ones. They were given the blemished ones, the ones that they didn't really need, the ones that didn't cost them anything. They were giving them to God and expecting God to be satisfied with their, with their sacrifices. And that's not what God desires. It's not what he deserves. So that's the challenge that we all face today. That's the challenge that I face as a pastor, as a professing believer, as a husband, as a father, as a grandfather, as a friend. In every aspect of my life, in front of all the people that I live in front of, am I leading others through a life of commitment, a life of faithfulness, a life that would cry out like Joshua, as for me and my household will serve the Lord? Or am, I, or am I living through a heart of compromise? A heart that says, well, when I'm with the job, when I'm with the guys in the job, I live this way. I do this. I say these things. And then when I go to church, I live like people in the church. How am I living my life? Am I faithful? Am I going through the motions like the people of Malachi's day. That's the challenge I have for me, and that's the challenge that I have for all those that listen to what the Lord's Word would say. Am I faithful to my profession of being a true follower of Jesus? Let's read on. Malachi 2, beginning at verse 5. Verse 5 through verse 9. It says, The purpose of my covenant with the Levites was to bring life and peace, and that is what I gave them. This required a reverence. Now, the next few verses are going to describe faithfulness. So listen to this. This required reverence from them. And they greatly revered me and stood in awe of my name. They passed on to the people the truth of the instructions they received from me. They did not lie or cheat. They walked with me, living good and righteous lives. And they turned many lives from sin. That's the faithfulness. The words of a priest's lips should preserve knowledge of God. And people should go to him for instruction, for the priest is the messenger of the Lord of heaven's armies. That's the faithfulness that God requires of his priesthood, me and you. But then he goes on to say, verse 8, But you, priests, have left God's paths. Your instructions have caused many to stumble into sin, you have corrupted the covenant I made with the Levites, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So I have made you despised and humiliated in the eyes of all the people. For you have not obeyed me, but have shown favoritism in the way you carry out my instructions. Now, what is this covenant that he's talking about? In the, in the, in the verse 5, he says, The purpose of my covenant with the Levites was to bring life and peace. Now, we don't, we, maybe we don't think of covenants often. But the Old Testament was all about the covenant of God, the covenant that God made with Abraham and Jacob 
and all the beginning fathers of the Israelites. The covenant. What is this covenant? God set apart the Levites to be the priests, and he made a covenant with them. So the definition of a covenant is, is, is in respect to between God and man is this. A covenant, a covenant is an unchangeable, divinely imposed legal agreement between God and man that stipulates the conditions of their relationship. Covenant is the rules by which God orchestrates. God is faithful to his covenants. Yet there's a lot of responsibility given to us in our living out accordingly. The essential parts of the covenant are, number one, a clear definition of the parties involved, a legally binding set of provisions that stipulates the conditions of their relationship, the promise of blessings for obedience, and the condition for obtaining those blessings. The covenant is a real deal. The covenant is what the Old Testament men of old, the prophets of old, lived by. A covenant is a promise that God gives and that he will never break on his end, yet people can walk away from the covenant if we choose to. We don't have to live under the covenant blessings that God has given. That's our choice, to walk away from it. But God will never walk away from his end of it. He will always fulfill his promise. He will always be faithful to his covenant if we're faithful to live under it. Throughout Scripture, God has given clear definition of his covenant, that the covenant was between himself and man, that it's legally binding, that it, it promises, he promises to fulfill it. And then he also gives us the conditions of what it takes to, for us to live under it. Here's something about in covenant that's very important. It's not something that we can argue with. It's not something that we can say, God, let's change it. <laughs> God, let's modify it a little bit. This is not a give and take. A covenant is from God. God creates the covenants. We don't have a say in it. We can't go to him and say, God, let's soften it a little bit here. It's not my right to do that. I don't have the responsibility. I don't have the privilege. I don't have, I don't have the opportunity to because God writes the covenants. My opportunities and my responsibilities are, am I going to live according to it, not argue with it? It's not a negotiated agreement. That's what Malachi was bringing up to the people of his day. That's why he's talking about the covenant. The purpose of God's covenant, if we live under it, is only to offer good things, life and peace. That's what the covenant's for. All the people had to do was to accept the promise of it and live under it and be faithful to it. And we have the same conditions for us today. Verse 7, the words of a priest's lips should preserve, preserve knowledge of God and people should go to him for instructions for the priest is a messenger of the Lord of heaven's armies. I think it's pretty obvious here that we know the, the role of a priest. We know the role of a pastor. We know the role of a teacher. A good teacher is one that teaches the truth of God's word. Yet there are 
many roles and many pastors and many people that have lost the faithfulness of that. Pastors and teachers, listen, we don't have the right to shape God's word into something that the enlightened people of our day agree with. They don't have the right to do that. Leland, when you were pastoring down in Texas, you didn't have the right, did you? You had to preach the word of God the way God's word said it. And any man that stands behind his pulpit, if he's worth anything, if he wants to have the rewards of God and not the curse of God, he better do the same thing. Second Timothy chapter 4 gives us the instruction that Paul had for Timothy. Timothy was a spiritual son of Paul. Paul, this was Paul's last letter to Timothy before he was martyred. That's why this is such a powerful word for us today. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, Paul says this, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. <laughs> Paul's setting it up. He's saying, Timothy, recognize who you serve. You're not serving me. You're serving God, who is the judge. And he's coming soon. And he brings his reward and his punishments with him. All right. Then he says, I give you this charge. Verse 2, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come. And this is where we're living right now. Verse 3, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy, you put your name in there, Mike Way or any other pastor or leader here or father, put your name here. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. You know, it's so amazing that Paul did not consider himself, I don't believe, a prophet like the Old Testament prophets were. But yet, isn't he speaking of exactly what we're facing today? Isn't this exactly the world that we live in today? That the world really doesn't want to hear the truth? All the false lies that are going on, there's so much false news going on, fake news with COVID and all this stuff. And, and, and I know this, we could get into a real political discussion. And I don't want to get into the political discussion of it, but I want to get into the truth of what it means to speak truth and not fake news or false things to, uh, to, to promote my agenda. My agenda is the Word of God to the best that I can make it. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I appreciate that. I know you know that. But my agenda is the truth of God's word, and I pray that the Lord will give me the strength to speak it. And to be, I, I would love to have Paul look at me someday when I get to heaven. And Paul said, Mike, you remember when you read that message to Timothy and I told Timothy to preach the word? I would love Paul to say, you did a good job. You preached the word. I'm sure that's what Timothy wanted to hear from, from, from Paul. More importantly, I want to hear Jesus say it. I want, I, I want to hear Jesus say, Mike, you did what I asked you to do. It was hard, wasn't it? You had to endure some persecution, didn't you? I don't, I, what in persecution have I endured, really? 
I've had a few people yell at me. I've had a few people, you know, walk out of the church on me. I've had a few people, but I haven't endured any persecution, really. I just want them to say, Mike, you did a good job. That's what I want to hear. And I know that's what your heart is as well. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. But then Malachi goes into verse 8, and he says, But you priests have left God's paths. Your instructions have caused many to stumble into sin. You have corrupted the covenant. Remember, the covenant is good things. You've corrupted it. I made with the Levites, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So I made you despised and humiliated in the eyes of all the people. For you have not obeyed me, but have shown favoritism or compromise, if you will, in the way that you carry out my instruction. There's many good things to acquire when we fulfill God's covenantal blessings. When we fulfill our responsibilities, know that God has peace and life in store. And with that should come all the confidence that you need to endure to the end. But the Malachi, or the people of Malachi's day, again, they, they rejected it. They came back out in verse 10 of that same chapter. Are we not all children of the same Father? Are we not all created in the, by the same God? Then why do we betray each other, violating the covenant of our ancestors? What they're saying here is show us how we violated it. We don't believe you, Malachi. Even if Malachi was given very direct examples to the priests, they still didn't believe him. Show us how we have violated so now Malachi has to go deeper. And because they've questioned it, now he's got to go deeper. Remember, as we go into this word that we're only praying, we're only saying, we're only declaring God's word. He's calling us, he's calling them to be faithful so that he can fulfill the covenant of blessings to them. So Malachi goes into further details. Pick it up at verse 11. Judah has been unfaithful, and a detestable thing has been done in Israel and in Jerusalem. The men of Judah have defiled the Lord's beloved sanctuary by marrying women who worship idols. May the Lord cut off from the nations of Israel every last man who has done this and yet brings an offering to the Lord of heaven's armies. Here is another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? Malachi says, I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you have been unfaithful to her, though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Now, Malachi is getting into an example here. And he's, and he's paralleling the marriage vows with the vows that we have with God. So, I don't want this to go down into a preaching necessarily on divorce and remarriage, even though we're going to talk about it. But understand the context here is that the men of the day were divorcing their Jewish women and marrying younger women that weren't Jews, that weren't believers. They were finding those that were the good-looking ones probably, the younger version, the younger models <laughs> of the one that weren't godly women and they were marrying them and then losing the Jewish heritage. And they were losing relationship. And they thought it was okay. 
And so Malachi uses that as an example. You say, well, you know why God's not pleased with you? Because I'll tell you, this is what you're doing. You're defiling God's words for you. You're defiling his promises for you. So he's using this analogy. Let's continue on. Verse 15. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from you. Hmm. Godly children is what he wants from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce. God's words. I hate divorce. Says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's army. So guard your heart and do not be unfaithful to your wife. Again, Malachi is drawing the analogy of covenant relationships. Marriage covenant between one man, one woman, and then the relationship between us and God. Why is God so animate about a godly marriages? Why? Why do you think God's so animate about godly marriages? I think it tells us right here. He hates divorce because what does he want out of a marriage? He wants godly children. Godly parents have a much better chance of producing godly children than ungodly parents have. I wish that every one of us that raised our children in godly homes could be guaranteed that our children will go to heaven. But they have to wrestle with their own salvation just like you had to wrestle with it. But I can pretty much assure you that if you're an ungodly parent, the chances of your children growing up to be godly are probably not very good. Not only that, but you'll have a a punishment to face before God because God gave you a a mandate that you would raise your children to be godly. So I encourage us as godly parents. The reason that God hates divorce is because he knew, he knows how much that destroys families. You know, the old saying is, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. It's true. You want godly children? Then be a godly parent. God, God created the laws of the harvest. He knows what produces what produces what. Corn produces corn, right? Carrots produce carrots. Love produces love. Faithfulness produces faithfulness. Unfaithfulness will not produce faithfulness. That's the fruit of the law. So that's why he says, guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth, for I hate divorce. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful. Hmm. Such great instruction for us. Such great warning for us. And parents, let me ask you, let me tell you, parents, grandparents that are here, have you, if you've raised your children to be godly, then I encourage you to continue to pray for them. Continue to pray for them, mothers, grandmothers, grandfathers. Don't give up on your children. God has a plan for them, and God will allow things to happen in their life that will prayerfully crush them and bring them back into relationship with him. That's the blessing. 
of being a godly parent, that we can pray godly prayers until our children face their own reality. Amen. Finally, this chapter ends with a question on justice. Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, they ask. You have wearied him by saying that all you who do evil are good in the Lord's sight and he is pleased with them. You have wearied him by asking, where is the God of justice? Now, let me just say that God does not get tired of your questions. Let me just ask you, let me just tell you that. Let me encourage you with that. He's not wearied of good questions. Because there's a lot of things in life that we don't understand. So keep asking God questions. What he's wearied with is rejection of his answers. Amen? What he's wearied with is that when he gives us the answer to the question that we reject it. That wears him out. And then he says, what can I do? I've given you the answers. You've wearied him by asking, where is the God of justice? Turn, in, turn to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, verse 7. Begin at verse 7 through 11. It says, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away. This is Jesus talking. Because if I don't, the advocate of the Holy Spirit won't come. He's talking to the boys, his disciples, before he ascends to heaven about his giving of the Holy Spirit. He said, if I do go away, then I will send him to you, the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will convict the world of, of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. Now, why do I bring up this scripture right now? Because this is the role of the Holy Spirit. We often think the role of the Holy Spirit is to give us joy, peace, happiness, comfort, and all those great things. That's good. But Jesus said, this is Jesus saying now, before he goes to, to the, back to heaven, he goes, I'm going to send you an advocate. I'm going to send you the comforter. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And this is what he's going to do. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness of the coming judgment. He doesn't say anything about peace. He doesn't say anything about joy. He doesn't say anything about happiness. The world, the, the, listen, the Holy Spirit's main role is conviction. The main role of the Holy Spirit is to convict our heart when we're not living right. And then when we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and then we make it right, we ask God to forgive us and we repent of that sin, then comes the joy and the peace and the assurance that we're in a relationship with the Lord. Because then it says, then the Holy Spirit will give you affirmation that you're a child of God. But that comes after the conviction. We have to keep the order right. The world wants to hear the Holy Spirit just being a joy giver. And that we're all children of God. Well, yes, we are. But it has to come first through conviction. The Holy Spirit's role is to convict the world of its sin. And then when you convict, you're convicted, then you deal with it, you repent, you get your heart right with the Lord, and then he becomes the comforter. And then he becomes the one that says, yes, now you are a child of God. You are joined here with Christ. See, the devil wants to cancel that. 
We are, we are in a generation of cancel. We, we, if we don't agree with somebody, we don't argue with them anymore. We just cancel their message. That's what's happening politically, right, Ken? You see it. They don't, they don't have good debates anymore to try to really understand what the other, other side's saying. As soon as we are in a debate with somebody, what they immediately do is attack them to cancel them. They'll look for a bad thing they've done in the past, and they'll use that against them and say, that person shouldn't be worth following. That person's a, a loser. Uh, don't go to that person. Let's cancel them at all. That's not debate. That's not learn from them. Let's cancel them. Well, that's exactly what the devil's been doing for generations. The devil's been canceling the Word of God all his life. That's what he does. He doesn't debate it. He can't win against it, so he cancels it. And we're finding that in our life today, that this whole thing of love is a canceling of God's grace because love says you'll accept me as I am or I'm going to cancel you. I'm going to cancel your involvement in my life. That's the issues that Malachi was facing, and that's the issues that we're facing today. Malachi loved the people. That's why he said the hard words of God's word. Jackie, would you come, please? So I want to emphasize this morning to all of us how much God loves you, how much God loves and cares for you, I don't want these messages to be mean-spirited. I don't want these messages to be um, anything but godly. It may be hard, but that's okay. I'm not going to apologize for God's hard words. But I want to make sure that we understand God's word appropriately, that we read it in context, and we see it for what God is really saying to us. You see, God's justice is real. They were questioning Malachi's day. They were saying, well, where is this God of justice? Well, let me just tell you that God's justice is coming. It's real. It's pure. It's undefiled. It's righteous. It's holy. Nothing to mess around with. So as we end this morning, I want to pray that the Holy Spirit will help us be faithful. I want to pray that he strengthens your life, that you be faithful in the life that you're given to walk into, that you're strengthened in your marriages, strengthened in your employer-employee relationships, you're strengthened in your marital relationships with your wife, your father-mother relationships with your children, His covenant today is real. If his justice is real, his covenant is real. And his covenant gives life and it gives peace. And we still live under that today. I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. As always, if there's anything I can help you with, I'm here to pray. Now or throughout the week. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Father, we open our hearts now to hear your words. Lord, I do pray that the Holy Spirit does his work. You are the convictor of all sin. And Father, in the areas of our life that maybe we've harbored some some sin, I pray that you would reveal it to me. 
that I would deal with it, that every person that's listening to this message, that they would deal with it as well, that they would personally wrestle with that sin until they, to the point where they can repent of it and they can leave it behind and they can move on into pure relationship with you that's undefiled. So, Father, I thank you. And I invite your presence. I know sometimes it's difficult to sit in the quiet because when we sit in the quiet, the heart speaks. So I invite you as it's in this time of personal time of meditation and prayer that if you feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit dealing with an area, I pray that you take it serious and that you would change it and deal with it and get the help you need for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's sing the song that Jackie and Tom are playing as we close today. Stand with me if you would, please. You know, this song says that when we're rescued from my strongholds, that the Lord lifts me from shame. That's a feel-good message. I just preached you a feel-good message today. So feel good. 
because the Lord has lifted you from shame and your sin. So feel good about it and go and rejoice in the Lord today and have a great week because you're lifted from your shame. Amen? Amen. Be blessed. Father, thank you for this day today. Be our God that we would be uh, that we would serve you. Be our Savior and our Lord. And we just give you praise. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.